Hello and a very warm welcome to About the Avenger podcast. This episode with Jen Scotney is packed full to the brim. Jen shares why she decided to stop working as a human rights lawyer after 14 years and how she is working towards a balance between writing, creating her podcast, hosting yoga retreats and coaching. She emphasises the importance of finding time for deep rest and exercise. Get your boots on for a walk or put the kettle on for this extra long episode. Listening closely to hear the wind rattling through the Peak District Bothy, where we recorded it on a wet summer's day. Often you get that question, oh, what do you do? And I always say, do you mean for work? Because I like to have that distinction between what I do for work and who I am, because they're not the same. And in, before, I think I've put quite a lot of identity into my role when I was a lawyer it was all consuming so what I do now hmm coach is probably one of the first things I say I am also a mountain leader which is an income stream I am a yoga teacher but I'm also a podcaster and I have so I've also (laughs) got a book coming out and I I really felt like I couldn't call myself a writer until this book was kind of in print. Then I thought, well, yeah, but I do really like writing. Maybe, like, if I did a few more of my Substack blogs, then I could call myself a writer. And then you know what? I just thought, oh, this is ridiculous. Just call yourself a writer. <laughs> it's it's odd having jobs where you can't describe it in one word, whereas before I just say a lawyer. It's taken me a while to come around to this, but what links them all is me. I just see them all as... It's a part of me and it's me doing me. So you're a running coach. How do you work with people? And is this something that you're going to be sticking with in the future? All my schedules are bespoke and it's telling people what they should be doing to some degree. But it's also really about giving people the tools so that they can manage their own training and work to their own running goals. That's something that I really enjoy doing. And it's been a big part of my life for the last few years. But it's not something that I do want to do five days a week because it's very much desk bound. I I have been able to work remotely. I've worked from huts in Scotland and my van, but generally it's Zoom calls on a laptop. I enjoy it, but it's not where I want to be the whole time at my desk, which I'm sure we'll get into as to (laughs) why I left my job as a lawyer. Is it more challenging now that you're not running than it was before <laughs> like how how has that impacted you I think like for a bit of background when I started running coaching it was very much with my yoga teaching this was going to be my career and long term it was a dream at the time I still had some chronic illness again due to burnout and a reason why I left law so I'm sure we'll go on to that but At that point, I had hope that I would run again, that I would be back competing. I was a runner who's done ultra marathons and I just love running. So to then have a job where you are talking about running and being with runners, it just seemed a dream. I was fortunate to have my husband as a mentor. I think it's the best way to describe that because he's been full-time coaching for years as well as a sports therapist. So he was very supportive and and helpful in setting up as a coach. I'm trying to think how long I'd been a coach 
when I got a diagnosis of osteoarthritis, the surgeons at the time, we tried a few things with my knees, this was in both knees, but nothing really worked. So I was left with the advice from my surgeons that it was two knee replacements that I needed and I would never run again. I've had one of those knee replacements, which I'm recovering from now and waiting for another one. In terms of whether this has made it difficult coaching, I can't remember the exact wording of your question, but in some ways it's been very emotionally difficult for me. I've had to coach people for races I would have been doing. I have yeah been coaching people through their running when I can't run and emotionally that's been really difficult I'd say that's one of the hardest things dealing with my injury but in terms of as a coach I think it's given me a new perspective that's really helped with my coaching when I was an ultra runner in that world it's it's like a bubble <laughs> coming out of that bubble and not being able to do those races has been very it's been challenging in terms of identity in terms of what I do with my life in terms of how I perceive me and how I think the world perceives me so there's been a lot of work there and it's given me the perspective of the aspects of running that aren't necessarily healthy both physically and mentally I feel that that has made me a better coach. I'm more likely to challenge people when I think that there's things that are alarm bells are ringing or things that are unhelpful or unhealthy. So yeah, it's worked both ways. When you talk about alarm bells, are you referring to people not looking after themselves properly, being very much race driven and pushing their bodies too much? I think that's part of it. I don't think it's necessarily bad to be race driven. That's you know, different motivations for different people. There's definitely an element that I don't think I was particularly risky as a runner myself because I still had principles that I followed in terms of my rest and recovery and the number of races that I would do. So it's not completely flipped anything approach in that way. I am definitely more cautious about taking risks with health though but I think the other part of it is more the mental side of running like for me I'm looking at how much pressure you're putting on like at the end of the day it's supposed to be fun if somebody is anxious about races has their self-worth tied up in what that number is going to be at the end of a race that's something that we can work on and I think in the past maybe I wouldn't have worked on that so much I see that as a driver how great it is that running so important whereas now I know what it's like to have running taken away from you overnight really and I want people to have the tools to be able to cope with that if that happened I'm not saying it will happen but just or maybe that perspective that running isn't everything <laughs> which is probably odd for somebody who's got a career in running coaching to say but Sometimes I am that coach that will just say it is just running in a circle. <laughs> and do people hear it? Are people mostly open to listening to you say that? I mean, really listening? Yes, I think they are. And I think that's why I'm saying that my injury, although it's been hard in some ways to be a coach through that, it does give another perspective. And I hope that that's been valuable for people that I coach. Did you worry when you were presented with this idea that you might not be able to run again? Were you concerned that people wouldn't choose you as a coach because you're not smashing <laughs> races and yes. events? 
Yes, definitely. The rise of running coaches has been quite quick, I'd say. Everybody, like it's unregulated. Anybody can just call themselves a coach. And a lot of runners who have a few good results do put themselves out as coaches. I was very much worried that if I wasn't visible running, if I wasn't getting results, that people wouldn't want me as a coach. And now I don't see that at all. Coaching is really... I'm sure you'll recognize this. It's about the person. (laughs) It's not about the results. I think the other thing that I worried about, not so much about being visible, was kind of almost a bit of shame. Almost a lot of people, when I say I can't run and I've got osteoarthritis, they, oh, you wore your knees out running. It's quite, it's an old-fashioned kind of way of looking at osteoarthritis with the research. But... I was very conscious that people if thought that I'd done this to myself through poor training or coaching or running of myself and would that impact them wanting me as a coach. So I guess you don't know because you don't know the people who haven't come to you. <laughs> but in terms of the work and the workload and the number of athletes that I have as a coach it's, it doesn't feel like it's impacted it there are maybe some assumptions that are that might be made around that but you like you say you've got this unique perspective and also you do have a great history of running yeah and I think the other thing is is thinking back to my chronic illness and my burnout when I was getting a lot of those results um some of the podium places I was working as a human rights lawyer at the time. I was working such long hours. The running for me that I did took me away from my desk. Sometimes I still felt guilty about it. Sometimes I was still replying to messages and emails and phone calls on my runs. So it wasn't like it was my escape necessarily. It did feel like it was a break from work. It felt like it was a constant when the rest of my world was falling apart or my desk seemed such a mess I used running when I was working those hours ultimately it was you know spoiler it was unsustainable it led to a lot of health problems and burnout but I think that again has given me a perspective as a coach I'm holistic I want to know what people are doing when they're not running as well as what they're doing when they're running I remind athletes so often about the stress of running in terms of you know what that's doing to your body it's not relaxation it's another stress I will challenge athletes if I think I'm seeing something that's unsustainable because I've got that experience of it all going wrong but it wasn't straight away that I was like look at all these things I've been through and how it can help my coaching I think I was very much a bit ashamed of them and keeping them quiet but it's through my practice that I've realized that it's actually a great to have that perspective and now that you're not running how do you handle stressful times stressful days does it do you think it needs a replacement and have you found your way through it there was a temptation I guess when I got my diagnosis of oh you can cycle that'll be okay on your knees and actually I did try cycling but before my first operation I found that the vibrations really didn't help my knees and it was quite painful but I think immediately I went to that oh I can cycle oh look at all these cycling races and it was trying to find that replacement I think in some ways that probably would have been quite easy but I don't love cycling as much as I loved running I find it a bit of a faff with all the kit and the gear (laughs) genuinely it wasn't pain-free I couldn't do it I don't think I would say I found a replacement 
But what I've done, which has been much harder, is find other things that help. And part of that is similar. Like, what do I love about my running? If you'd have asked me that a few years ago when I was running, I'd have said, I love just being out in nature. I love seeing the seasons change. I love the way, I, I love the fact that I can do two, the same run twice a day and it'd be completely different because I'm seeing it at sunrise or I'm seeing it at sunset. I mean, you know that because you do the same loops all the time and don't get bored and I felt the same. And it, I suppose the word I'd probably say is it grounded me. I didn't realize how much until I again we can go through that but I had a spell in an office in between the law and the coaching I missed it so much that just the the nature and the seasons and that I get I get from a dog walk so I get from just my own walk so I don't have to be running to do to get that benefit when I couldn't run I mean I spent a lot of time wallowing crying on the sofa like I'm not going to pretend that I had it all like switched on to other things straight away but I think the way that I frame it now is what space what can I let into that space whether that's new connections new hobbies just new stillness new time that's helped I guess that's that's what I use and do you give yourself permission to do that because it sounds like you have many different branches to what you do all the different parts of you and the work that you do do you give yourself permission now to take time off and how does that feel having been a really busy lawyer (laughs) I think it's I mean when I was a lawyer I was self-employed for the last 10 years so and just because I'm doing other things self-employed I feel like there's similarities in terms of it can be difficult to take time off I have managed to probably take more time off than I was as a lawyer. But it's still, it's hard when you're self-employed, isn't it? I feel also like I have this kind of constant contact with my athletes and I'm dropping them for a week when I take time off. I still feel that it's, it's, it can be difficult at times. I also think like some of the challenges of being self-employed is still working around that kind of scarcity of work and I still have to catch myself worrying about work in the future and, oh, I better take more on just in case or I won't get these opportunities again. I'm still working on that balance. So I definitely haven't got it figured out with a work-life balance, but it's something that I'm, I'm working towards because I really value the time off and what it gives me. But actually, it leads into the last question. So I had a five-day bike ride it was this kind of group organized one from Edinburgh to Manchester and it was like over 100k a day on a mountain bike well I hadn't you know I'd entered this full of enthusiasm that I'd do all this training and be super prepared and none of that had actually happened this was post-operation post-operation I'd been out for one five mile bike ride basically (laughs) (laughs) and I think you know I kind of felt like there was a bit of pressure like from myself but it's that well you've got to be doing something you've got to have a big challenge and you know go smash it that's that attitude but actually when it and I packed I was ready to go and I was then just realized how stressed I was about this there were so many unknowns with my knee the one that I've been operating on the one that I'm waiting for the operation on and I just thought that felt reckless with my health also possibly reckless because I was in remote places and other people would have to come if something happened whether that was 
physically to me or also I was a bit worried about my bike mechanics and so I took my so I I didn't start that event and actually I took myself off to the Lake District and I went into a valley with absolutely no reception no wi-fi and it was so refreshing I loved it I, I felt really creative and I've come back from there with so many ideas and plans of where I'm going in the future that it really was restorative having that rest so I do value rest but I'd say that it's it's hard taking it as a self-employed person it's hard yeah and I think also if you're surrounded by people or by messages that say you know strive harder that you need that you need to have goals in your life otherwise you'll just become lazy or you know you, you'll become too relaxed and not push yourself you know there's all these if it, if you're constantly being fed by this information then it's it's sort of like stepping aside and saying well maybe I can do this a different way I definitely see that it's so much focus on achievements always achieving and whether that's I don't know like it seems like hiking so popular now but it's so much focus on smashing this having these ticking this off and I've been there in the past I've ticked the Wainwrights off you know I've done those lists and it's stepping to one side and just getting out of that lane onto the hard shoulder in the Lake District I did read a few books but I spent a lot of the time sat in the sun just looking at the views. I did nothing. I wasn't making notes. I wasn't listening to anything other than the birds. You know, like I literally was doing nothing. That's quite courageous in this day and age. I had nothing to post. I had nothing, you know. <laughs> and it does, for me, it brings up feelings that I'm, I'm getting left behind and everybody else is rushing ahead. And whether that's with their career or with their whatever it is but I know there's so much value in the stopping and slowing down and if it propels me forward as well it's at some point with that inspiration or creativity or what it is I find in there then that's valuable I think one thing that I've learned as a freelancer and maybe this has come with experience as well when I was a lawyer it was always just hard 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 push 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 whereas now I have a little bit more freedom so for example I'll do my coaching calls in the evening so then I'm not so rushed to my desk in the mornings and what I can really tune into is those kind of ebbs and flows of my energy of my inspiration and creativity so if it's not going to be the day for it I don't push it so much occasionally it doesn't work like that we've got deadlines or admin or things that have to get done but a lot of the time I can really work more with me rather than just pushing through. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate and admire about you is that you share all the different phases that you go through with things. You know, like I, I seem to remember you thinking about entering one of the spine uh, winter spine events, even though you, you were really struggling with um, your knees at the time and you were kind of going public with how will I make this decision? Shall I do it or, or shall I not? And then the other end of that and saying no, I'm making a decision to not do it how difficult was it to make that decision to say no I'm not going to enter and the same with the um the bike event yeah I think it's funny actually that you mentioned that spy race so that was the the last one that I would have been doing and I had a place and training had been going okay from up until about September and then I went to 
a physio saying that oh, I've got these tight quads like this was the start of not being able to run again I had some very with hindsight like the wrong treatment from physios and diagnosis and things like that and then later on I got a private MRI and that really put things in motion with seeing the surgeons so I hadn't done the training that I wanted to do and I was going out for some little jogs runs but I knew that my knees were sore I was landing and I was getting shooting pains, which I know know, it's like bone rubbing on bone and like trying to run with all these stress fractures. Everybody was telling me to do the race. (laughs) I'd kind of sort of packed, but not packed. Like the one thing that I needed to do was go and get my GPS system from my um, mum's house. At the end of the day, like I just thought I can't do this to my body. I had an appointment with a physio later in the week and I thought like I just, I can't face him after running so this is 109 although I'm sure it's always been a more like 112 115 race that I'd done I'd done three times before so I knew exactly what was in store I knew that actually you spend quite a lot of time walking like it's not a high intensity race but I imagine sitting in front of him with in a worst case with my knees although we didn't know quite what was going on there and I just thought I can't do that like it's that's reckless so I pulled out the race but why I say that's interesting is I've often thought back and thought if you knew (laughs) what was coming and like when I had got that diagnosis the initial thing is like when you're hearing that your bones are rubbing on bone there's no cartilage like you just want to stop everything but at the same time, I knew that I needed to keep my muscle strength particularly ready for the surgery or for the other things that we were trying before. The, the surgeons were reassuring me. They were like, you're not going to wear it out in the next few months or year or whatever. It's not going to make it that much worse. It's already that bad. And I've often thought back and thought, well, if I knew that then, because also, I mean, this is, you know, it wasn't a huge women's field. The conditions were absolutely awful, which would have really suited me I'm I'm quite happy with bad weather you never know but there was a chance that I could win that race and yeah it has played on my mind and I think I have to say that I made the right decision I don't think I would have had a p- particularly fun race I think it would have been quite painful very painful so I don't have big regrets but it's funny thinking back thinking I didn't know what was coming then and would I have made a different decision You mentioned about choosing your body. Does that also relate to your career change from being a lawyer in terms of choosing yourself and your health and your well-being? Yeah, it does. Although I suppose looking back, it had to get to very extremes before I made that decision. So looking back, there were signs where perhaps I think now... Why, why didn't you do that earlier? Or why didn't you make changes earlier? What's so, your response to that? Why didn't you? I think for a lot of time, things were happening quite gradually. And it's only when you step back at, and look back that you realise how bad things were because things had just crept up. So I was a human rights lawyer and I was called to the bar in 2005 and then I went to London for a few years then Manchester and then I settled working from home in the Peak District self-employed for 10 years so I was a human rights lawyer and I became very specialized I worked with children in prison and care and I was bulk of my workload was doing parole board hearings for children that were serving life sentences I started getting fatigue so I started just feeling exhausted and it wouldn't I wasn't refreshed from sleep 
and it would creep up during the day and I would have this kind of heavy foggy feeling and at first I just reached for more coffee (laughs) and I kind of got in oh maybe I shouldn't work on a Friday evening maybe I could just put myself to bed at eight o'clock and that's what I need and I I went to the doctors there was kind of some yeah you've got low iron and that that fixed it for a little bit but then everything all the tests were normal but I was not normal and it it was really scary time it felt kind of out of control in terms of what was happening nobody could give me any answers or any treatments that were going to work in the end the first time when I had that really bad period of fatigue it was a Chinese doctor that really helped uh, acupuncture and working with her so I got a relief I but what I was doing was just going back to my old life and that looked like working 80 hour weeks I would work at my desk I would work in the evenings it came easy to work over the weekends because I knew my phone wasn't going to ring and I wasn't going to get a deluge of emails every day so it felt like I could catch up a little bit um over weekends and it was yeah it was just a lot a lot of work and I was traveling all over the country as well. So I'd be getting up at kind of five in the morning for those. I would just repeatedly have these periods of fatigue. And then I'd do what I did, which was sort of, I mean, I'd be forced to take time off. I'd be bed bound for maybe two weeks and gradually crawl myself out of it. It was at one of those times. So I'd also got a cold. I'd been fighting off this cold in, this was 2019 at Easter I just couldn't like my body just like I was back in bed and I also had a lot more symptoms then it was kind of this joint pain this feeling in the mornings like I'd been hit by a bus in the night and I felt like I was hung over I'd kind of always I'd realized early on that alcohol made me feel the symptoms were so I was like teetotal by this point and and I was just I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't do this again I couldn't pull myself out of this and I suppose the other relevant thing with my career was it was purely legal aid work so I didn't my fees came from government's set figures that were set in the 1990s and hadn't gone up in in the 2000s we'd had one legal aid cut which was 20% overnight just 20% of my income wiped off things that I was doing for children in prison had been taken out of scope so I wasn't even getting paid for them and things had just been cut so travel waiting the mileage and you know I I wasn't really in control about where my clients were getting transferred to around the country and you're committed to that case and then suddenly you're like well I've got to travel to Kent and stay overnight and I can't claim any of that back so I was out of pocket for some of the cases there was a lot of the work that I really enjoyed judicial reviews it had just become too risky and too hard to do that funding wise so with that background of it looking so bleak I just couldn't see a future and so I made the decision to look for other jobs and at the time I wasn't confident enough with myself to go and do what I really wanted to do self-employed wise and what I'm doing now so I took a job in an office and that's how I got out but actually I thought I'd be away from, I mean, I had this very stressful period where I was doing both. So I'd started the job, but I hadn't finished all my legal cases. So I was like coming back and billing and working and doing stuff at weekends. So that, but that, that, there was an end point to that. But actually I thought then, oh, well, I'll have two weeks in this new job. 
I'm getting a salary. I'm not going to be working weekends. It'll be fine. And my health will recover. And then I can just, I'm free to do what I want and I can run. And actually it took me two and a half years to get better. Like really serious health problems there. So I guess when we talked earlier about that, I'm not going to be risky with my health. I'm not, I'm going to be cautious. That's why. Because I know what it's like to to lose your health. Did that profession disappoint you? You know, before thinking back to when you decided to qualify as a lawyer, what were your dreams and your hopes and what actually happened? I... I feel like I was living my dream for quite a few of those years. I really, I was the odd one when I was doing my bar course because I really knew that I wanted to work with vulnerable people. I wanted to use this, use my skills, use law, use my time to help those who didn't have a voice. And I knew I wanted to do the legal aid work and I... I had my interest in prison and young people at that point. So I I felt like I was doing that job. I had some amazing times in terms of the change I made to people's lives. And also like I won a case at the Supreme Court that changed like parole board policy forever wow (laughs) well i mean for the last uh, for you know even when i left my case was still quoted in every single parole board decision so i made i like in that sense i wasn't disappointed i i could make a change there were times when i would have quite enjoyed being more in like the policy and legal developing the laws side of it rather than it it often felt like my work was coming in really late you know this kid was already in prison with a life sentence and couldn't something have happened before to prevent this this offense happening but that was that was good i think where the disappointment was was the lack of value on the work from the terms of like legal aid and the government policy so as i was going through my career we were getting more and more to the right in terms of the politics and the government that we had and tell the tabloids <laughs> that you're going to give money legal aid money to prisoners is just not vote winning and that was the problem whereas if I sat down with somebody and explained well this is what it costs to keep a child or an adult in prison this is what it costs to keep a category a prisoner in these are tens of thousands of pounds sometimes on the units that I was working on it was even higher and actually this is the work that I'm doing to get them access to the work they need for rehabilitation to get them a release plan to get them something in the community that's going to help them stay in the community and not come back to prison if you look at what the few hundred pounds that i'm getting paid compared to what it's going to cost to keep them in prison it's actually cost effective to have good lawyers working on these cases never mind the kind of moral we don't want a lot of people up forever and and human rights aspects of what i was doing actually if you sat down and worked it out as a cost we were helping, but it just there wasn't any space for that sort of dialogue and that sort of discount course. It was all about very much kind of short-term policies. And so that's what disappointed me, the lack of value of what we were doing. And it was looking around at the other lawyers, particularly in my field, 
It was very good people, very people that had gone on into the right reasons for me that were just getting burnt out, that were just couldn't couldn't stay in that field, and that was really sad. Considering how long you spent studying to, and to get the qualification, and also the money that you spent on that, how did it feel making that decision to entirely step away from it? Yes, I think it does make it harder. You've got that investment, and it's taken me. I suppose there's two things. First is, I thought when I left, what a waste. What a waste of all that money and that career to have walked away. And it actually took somebody else, I can't even remember who it was, to say, but it wasn't a waste. Think of all those people you helped. And that was really, it was really powerful for me. Like, yes, I, I did do a lot of work. And I worked with hundreds and hundreds of people, helping them get, a better quality of life the other thing is is that it's really taken me a long time to work out that actually what I did as a lawyer is still relevant to what I'm doing now like it just felt like such a shift like you're starting again new career you don't like it one of the things that was hard was being an expert and then going to new careers and you're not the expert you don't know the answer to everything whereas you know I was the person as a lawyer, like training other lawyers and and I was specialized in such a field. And then I suppose I felt like, well, if I'm not using that knowledge of, you know, nobody's asking me about the human right articles or, uh, you know, prison service orders and things like obscure things that I was using before, it's all a waste. But what I hadn't it, what, what, what it's taken me a time to realise is, with my coaching, I'm using those skills that I had as a lawyer of really get, asking the right questions, getting to the points that I need to, getting to the place I need to. And, like, I've got a podcast going again. I was like, I can't start a podcast. I know nothing. I've never done this before. And those sort of things. And you're like, you've spent 14 years questioning people and like when I was a lawyer in parole board hearings or prison adjudications which like mini trials in prisons like what you're doing is you've got 600 pages or more thousand pages of reports that you've got to know inside out you're then cross-examining witnesses you're also you there's no recording that you get so I'm responsible for the recording so I'm keeping a you know making a contemporaneous note of everything everybody says in case I need to appeal anything Plus, I'm like work, you know, looking out for my client. I'm alive to any issue. Like, there's so much going on. And then I'm like, okay, when I'm doing a podcast, like, it's actually quite easy <laughs> in terms of, yeah, I'm like listening to somebody and making, you know, asking questions. That was such a small part of what I did as a lawyer. I didn't I have to do everything else. And I can go back and edit a podcast, which I do, could never do as a lawyer in a, you know, when I'm in front of a judge. So it's really. It's been quite fun to think of how those skills actually come into what I'm doing. I haven't wasted my education and I haven't wasted the time that I was doing. And what's been quite useful for me to think of is even when I feel like I'm starting again, whether that's with a new project or a new career, you're not starting from nothing. You've got all that, all that experience and all that work that I've done before coming with me. So... Um, yeah, that's really helped. Actually, when I was nervous before some of my early podcast recordings, what I used to say to myself was, 
you've been preparing your whole life for this. Like when I was thinking that I wasn't prepared Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it would just generally make me laugh. But it's kind (laughs) of true as well. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I think is really tricky with career change is that we tend to think that we have to know what to step into next. It's that it's that kind of going back to school or careers office type of thing where you think, right, what do I enjoy? What are my skills? How does that fit into this box? Obviously, like you're talking about those skills at the other end of it because you've been trying out these things and realising this. When you were initially, I mean, it sounds like, we were talking on the way here and there's been maybe a, a, more than once that you've considered a career change. Um, how did, how do you think that you have come to where you are now and how is that going to guide you in your career from now? I think that one of the barriers for me for getting out of of law when I when I knew it wasn't working for me and when I my body and everything was just begging for a break I it was hard not stepping out when you didn't have the full package ready and I mean I've never I suppose it's not like I've ever always I've always known what I wanted to do actually I don't think you know this but when I left school when I was 16, my career plan that you have was that she's going to be a politician. And when I was 18, <laughs> bless my form teacher for agreeing, like, she's like, Jen is going to be prime minister. And I fully <laughs> think that she will achieve the same. <laughs> so politics was always what I was kind of interested in. And when I was saying this, they were like, well, you, you do know you don't need to do a degree in politics, don't you? I was like, yeah. I do know that. So I was kind of looking at other things and I was doing, I did law A-level. That was offered. It's not offered everywhere. And I really enjoyed the the arguments and the interpretations and the applications. I, I like that kind of theory of law. So I went to do law at university. And again, I still didn't really have a career plan. I didn't even know if I wanted to be a lawyer. And it was only when we, I went to a careers talk at my second year of university and it was with barristers and there was this kind of decision of do you want to go down the solicitor route or barrister route and I just loved the arguments and getting into the real nitty-gritty of the legal work so that's why I then did my like follow the career that I did and but then it is kind of when you decide that this isn't for you what what are you going into and I, I think for me I had a really helpful conversation as, with a friend who said, what's the dream? And I hadn't really thought about that. And for me at the time, it was running and yoga retreats and that kind of nurturing people on retreats and giving them, I felt like with my experiences, I know what I want to give people or what I can offer people and what might be helpful to them. So I really worked backwards from that. Okay, what do you need for that when well, I need my yoga teaching qualification so I applied for that and was going to do that while I was doing this office job so for me I didn't leave law to go to this office I was doing PR because I saw that as a long-term career I just saw that as this will get me out this will give me some breathing space while I think of what I actually want to do and it will also naively I thought 
it'll repair my health because I'll just suddenly have this income. And there was a lot of things being self-employed as a lawyer, like doing my accounts, like never really knowing what your income was going to be, that uncertainty that I thought, I just want to break from that. And when I worked in this office, I hated the commute. I really didn't work well in an office. I'm not the sort of person that can do small talk and have 30 people asking me what I did at a weekend. And it just wasn't for me. But that was so useful to know because then when I did eventually make that jump, although I suppose I was pushed in that I was made redundant during COVID, which was really helpful because it gives you a little cushion and it also just forces you out the door. So you have to make it work. Well, I felt now... I'm going to make it work being self-employed and freelance. And so that's been a real, yeah, uh, like knowing that I don't want to work in an office has been a real driver for me. I think in terms of knowing what I do want to do, I'm less about the labels of I'm going to do this job and this job. It's more what's, what do I feel is calling me? Like where do, what, what makes me feel energized and alive? What am I enjoying? And it's finding those aspects of my work and I'm still finding my way with that. And I'm still getting the courage to kind of, I've got some quite exciting things coming up or I feel like they're exciting, which, but it's, it's, I suppose what I find hard about what I'm doing at the moment is there's not really anybody I look to that's doing what I exactly what I'm doing. So you feel like you're forging a path, which is quite scary. Um, but I've definitely got people around me that inspire me. You're one, Sarah. And I feel I have this faith that if you go with what you enjoy, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Some of it may not work out commercially, financially, but I'll be okay. Which is a really, a really good message, I think. And it's something that generally, I mean, I don't know about now, but when I was a youngster, that wasn't the message that I was hearing. It was, you need to be sensible. You need to do this, this and this to have a good standard of living. And I feel like the last few years, I've just been unraveling all of that stuff that has been telling me to go in a certain other people who have told me to go in that direction and I feel like I'm getting further and further away from that and it's doing me so much good and that's not to say there's no there's no risk and there's no difficult times there is and I think sometimes you actually have to push people away a little bit because you know they they might they might question what you're doing and and maybe even tell you that you're ruining something in the future and that you're going to end up (laughs) in a bad place. So I think it's a really good message for people to hear. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that. Thank you. Because it's, again, like, I... You see a lot of people that have career changes, but it's they go into a different career that's quite easy to package, I see it. Uh, So it does feel quite radical sometimes that we are doing what we're doing and we're not fitting in a box and we're not I suppose also what I feel is quite radical is I don't want to work all the time I'm quite proud that I when I can take time off and like we're we're recording this on a Friday morning (laughs) in a dusty boffy in a dusty boffy in the Peak District and one thing that I really found that I I didn't like about working in the office was the set hours. And 
although it was less than I was doing as a lawyer, I did feel like I had choice over my hours. So for example, when you're self-employed as a lawyer, I don't just sit at the desk for set hours. I just sit at my desk when I've got work to do. And going to an office where it wasn't about the work you had to do, it was just where well, you've got to be here from half eight to half five. And I just couldn't really get my head around that. <laughs> like, why don't I just, there's no incentive for anybody to do their work efficiently <laughs> because you're just going to be there for that time anyway. It really did feel like, am I missing something? Why is everybody doing this? Am I weird for, um, uh, do I not fit in? Because I don't get my head around this office right <laughs> And I would be driving out of my Peak District to go to a not very nice location where the office was. And it was completely uninspiring, the office, the inside, the exterior. I missed the opportunity of making the most of good weather, of like, it's going to be an amazing sunrise, let's go for a swim, let's go. Like, that's something that I really value, is flexibility, is is being out having the opportunity to go out in nature when I want. Like when I was commuting over a winter, I'd leave in the dark, get back in the dark. That's, that's not a life for me that I want. So yes, in a way, it does feel quite radical to come out of that mold and that box. And it's definitely different to my parents. I don't know about you and, but that thinking of that generation, it was those kind of careers for life. But towards the end of, um, his career my dad did um, take like part-time and make more use of his time off so I found that quite inspiring but yeah it's different isn't it but I I'm finding that there's there's plenty of people like us now do you ever feel like it can be lonely in terms of if every if most other people are in office jobs during the week do you ever notice that it's difficult to arrange to to meet up at, or to even even to give yourself the permission to go out and go for a swim, for example, or come and do something like, I mean, this is, this could be classed as work maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> so um, do you ever, yeah, do you ever feel like if everyone else is doing that, is it, is it difficult for you to say, well, I'm going to go out and play? <laughs> yeah, I think so you heard me say earlier, well, I work in the evening, so I don't rush to my desk in the mornings. And I think, well, you, I shouldn't have to have that justification of why I'm out. So I think there's still, it still does creep in. I, I suppose one thing that I get from friends is, well, you're lucky you can go out. You're lucky you can, in the winter particularly, because I like, I like quite, I quite like dark evenings, I quite like winter. I seem to get more sleep. I don't get as fr kind of frazzled as I do in summer when I've had periods of fatigue. They've often come in spring and summer. And so I quite like the dark evenings. And, and friends that are working in offices just don't understand that. And uh, Or they say, you're lucky. And I think I do accept that there's an element, well, there's an, a huge element of white privilege that I have and privilege that I have from my upbringing and the fact that I could get the education that I could do that I did do but there's also a massive element that isn't luck we've taken decisions repeatedly made decisions that have led us to this lifestyle and sacrifices I think as well but it's not luck that we can do this on a Friday we've made choices um, that allow us this time and I definitely I, I don't 
I don't really feel guilty. I suppose there's times where I enjoy it more when I know I've done all my coaching work for the week and then I play at the end of the week. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's something that I really value and, and will make self-employed life work because I value it. And do you quite enjoy the spontaneous, like the spontaneous nature that you've created of, of being able to move things around and yes yes I do and I think oh, the other thing to mention I think that just in, in response to that last question was my husband is a running coach and we work very similar hours he does more coaching so because he's happier being at the house and at his desk and he's he goes out for runs in the morning and then doesn't feel guilty about that at all because we do work in the evenings and when I was working in the office and he was working those hours that felt lonely because I'd come back from work and he'd disappear for two hours on his calls so um no I don't feel lonely is the answer because I'll yeah you find people like you there where we, we're doing this together and we've got very I think I find that I, we've got similar values similar similar reasons similar interests because this is and this is why we've ended up with this one in terms of being spontaneous it's really it's really funny actually like thinking back to those career plans well maybe not the prime minister one i i probably wouldn't do now but i i'd still think i'd really enjoy that please, please do be a prime minister we, we need help <laughs> but like when you're thinking of your careers i just feel like there's too much to think about there's too much you don't know and when I was picking like thinking back to that when I was talking about the decision to go to the bar and be a lawyer and these legal arguments yeah I love that I at no point thought you're going to be sat at a desk like I was so sporty as a kid I grew up in the Peak District I grew up roaming around these hills and and had I was outside all the time I never once thought or questioned, do I want to be sat at an office? And I think there's also a little bit of a pressure because of the grades that you get at school that maybe you should be doing something with that, that, you know, in terms of the professions that you're looking to go into. The other thing, like the other thing that actually suited me working from home and, and traveling to prisons was that I didn't have a commute and I was going to different places and my weeks looked different and there was that element of spontaneity but I if you'd have asked me that at the start do you do you need that in a career I'd probably never really put a value on it but the times when I worked in-house and worked in offices I really struggled with the commute just doing the same thing every morning and I would get to points where I would be changing my commute commute I would be even going longer ways just to just to get away from the same routine but that's something that I think you just find out about yourself along the way, or I certainly have. Those bits of, yeah, I do need things to be different. I need my weeks to look different. Angie sent in a question asking, what do you do to stop yourself spiralling when you're having a bad day? So maybe if you could relate that, because you've talked about the chronic fatigue and the really difficult times that you went through. How did you handle that when work was piling on top of you as well as still trying to look after yourself and look after your health and all the appointments that you had with doctors and things, when things felt like they were going out of control, how did you? Oh, probably badly. <laughs> you know, it was a really difficult time. We haven't got into loads of detail, but for me, I had a, what 
I felt was really rewarding, a really fulfilling career. I was traveling around doing all these things that I wanted to do and things looked good. But I think the tipping point came for me when I suffered two bereavements. My dad died and then my brother died very soon after. And as a lawyer, I felt at the time there was a pressure to be still showing up for work. I was still working when we were looking for my brother who was missing in London. I was still, you know, to, to take time off for a funeral and plan my brother's funeral, I was driving around trying to get files to places because everything was on deadlines. <laughs> so I had that and I just came back to work and I was just really, my focus was, don't let anybody know you've had this <laughs> traumatic thing happen. Be the good lawyer that you are. And then things in my private life kind of started unraveling as well at home. I had a relationship breakdown and there was nothing really, other than that's when I had started running, but there was nothing really, everything just felt very overwhelming. And this is when things started tipping, I'd say. And even looking back, I talked about those periods of fatigue. There was probably warning signs earlier than that. So for me, the ones that I remember was I used to be, I used to be pretty, you know, excited by emails, what cases are going to come in and what, yeah, I found myself that changed that I suddenly became very anxious about messages, about emails. I, I thought everything was going to be a complaint that I wasn't doing uh, my job well enough or I would suddenly have 20 voice messages on my desk, on my answer machine that I wouldn't listen to and those for me were warning signs that things weren't right but I didn't realize at the time I just thought I wasn't working hard enough or I wasn't a good enough lawyer and everybody else around me was coping so I think in terms of looking at that question what would you do like what did you do when you were spiraling I mean probably all the wrong things but what I would do now would be so different. I would talk to people, I would tell people how I was feeling and what I found from like my podcast is about resilience and some of that the people that I've worked um interviewed for that are people in very similar situations with burnouts with times that they don't feel like they've coped and it just feels like, why didn't we all speak up and tell people at the time what was going on? So definitely talking more. And that would have also helped by, it kind of compounded the shame I was feeling of not being able to cope. It became a bit of a secret because everybody, I had a reputation as being such a organized, efficient lawyer that everything was on time. And, and that just wasn't the case. I was things were slipping I was not on top of my work and um so yeah that's, that's definitely something I do now really taking time off to rest and I don't mean running like when I see people saying oh like running is their therapy or running like running's great it gets you outside but running is stress on your body and I did I was doing yoga back then and I was um, I did have other tools, but I don't think I relied on or used them enough. Um, so getting proper rest, deep rest, is something that I would say 
um, advocate now. The other thing that I found helpful, and I'm not sure I'd say it as spiraling now, when I have days that are challenging, what I think I would use to describe them is maybe overwhelming. It's that kind of, I've got too much to do, or I'm never going to get this done. And one thing that I find really helpful is thinking back of all the times, all the times that I thought that. And it's not necessarily like really difficult stuff. It's just when you've got on like a Monday afternoon, you look at what you've got to do for that week. And it's felt, I can't do it. You know, I just remind myself, I've got through 100% record of every one of those times, that week, that day, when I thought I couldn't get everything that I needed done. I think I'm a bit more ruthless now. It's like, I'm not looking at what I need to get done for what I think I need to get done for my reputation. I am actually very much what's going to have a consequence if I don't do it this week and if it's not got a consequence if it's just me feeling a bit guilty or something like that then I can rearrange and do other you know do it another time so the other thing that's really helped me for those overwhelming and I wish I looked at more or knew more about when I was working as a lawyer was my perfectionism and I think it's probably something that's quite common with lawyers I thought that my perfectionism was was what made me a good lawyer I wasn't going to put in something that was substandard if something if somebody asked for some work I'd go above and beyond what was needed usually and would be late into the night researching all sorts of things and yet actually now I see it become it comes from a place of fear it comes from shame of not being good enough of being found out and I'm very much more relaxed now and I don't think that's necessarily dropping standards it felt like it at first but I'm like well what's good enough and actually what comes with putting something in piece of work that's good enough is you get you actually get me in a much better place in terms of being relaxed and 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 open and not stressing and not overwhelmed and not that mess that I was in the past so working on that's really helped as well how does that apply now with launching and <laughs> continuing with your podcast but also with writing your book because obviously you're you're going to you're sharing such a big part of yourself and you're editing yourself essentially so how does that feel now that you're the, in terms of like the perfectionism I mean <laughs> I'm one of the te- like in terms of the podcast it's been it really came down to if I'm if I want this to be perfect it will never happen nothing will go out and I I really thought I would struggle with the editing and listening to myself back I I couldn't even imagine how I was going to do that but I was like well I've got this end goal that I want to put this podcast out something I really believe in talking about resilience talking about like how we get through the tough times and so I worked back, what do I need to do? And I rec- dived in, recorded some episodes and actually like didn't put them out for eight months. <laughs> like that's just not just because I was like worried about them not being perfect, just because I, I literally hadn't worked out all the tech and the, how I was going to get launch it and things. So for me, it really is that kind of stop w- what, if I'm perfect, if I aim for perfection, it is never going to 
go out. And what you'll find is like there was, you know, I've even put stuff out deliberately imperfect. I could have edited it out, but I didn't because I just feel it's more authentic. So there's there's a really funny one where I interview somebody and I introduce them as my desk instead of my guest. Yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> the other thing is, is like, I mean, <laughs> last week I put out two episode 20s. I'd, re- I'd numbered it wrong. I cut and pasted for some of the show notes and I spelt the word website wrong for the first 10 episodes. You know, like there's stuff that in the past I would have been mortified and be like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this again. I'm, I'm so bad. And now I'm just like, it really doesn't matter. what matters is that there's something going out that these conversations are starting and so that's really for my work and the same for other aspects of my work as well it's just like just get something out there I've spent way too long being paralyzed by fear fear that it's not perfect that I've missed a lot of opportunities that I've not taken I've not done stuff that I wanted to do because of it and I'm not prepared to do that anymore maybe that comes a bit with age as well like we've only got one life (laughs) just get out there the other thing is is that I find that what I've stressed about other people don't notice what's what my ideal is what I think is perfection is not what you think is perfection so again what's the point of of striving for something that in the end doesn't really exist you mentioned a couple of times about your partner your husband how have these changes that you've been through affected your relationship because it must have been really a really difficult time with the chronic fatigue and all the stress that you were going through and how is that different now how is is your is your relationship better since you have become i assume happier with the work that you're doing now well you have to read the books (laughs) (laughs) all about selling you (laughs) I mean so I so in terms of the book I started with a very narrow focus for the book and I had a book deal to write about the Pennine Way and the running records and then I was just going to pop up neatly at the end and run the Pennine Way and then I got ill is the twist it is so hard like I'm only just now feeling like I can speak about my chronic illness and have those conversations whether that's on my podcast or with other people or through my writing I suppose one thing that I haven't started talking about is how difficult that is for the partner as well so you talked about like all these appointments that I was going to but actually I wasn't like there was nothing that the GP was offering me because it was just you've got chronic fatigue live with it this was before long COVID maybe it's slightly different now but I really was desperate it looked really bleak and then I've got the part my partner had to deal with that he was just as helpless he didn't know what to do and say it was really tricky to navigate and so Again, I'm not saying that we did it the right way. We did it a way. We got through it somehow. So then I started writing when I felt up to it about my illness, about what I'd been through, and really some very inner thoughts that I'd never shared. Uh, So the book isn't, I wouldn't call it a running book now. I'd call the book a book about grief. It's about getting through those bereavements that I mentioned. It's the grief of losing your health the grief of losing the plans that you had for the future. I also touch on grief around childlessness in the book as well. So these are themes that I I hadn't really been sharing. I didn't think this book would ever 
be published because it wasn't the book that that I was supposed to be writing. So I was very surprised when I sent, I can't remember, I think I'd only written about 20,000 words at that point. I'd sent it to the editor and they were like, yeah, just keep writing. And then it became, I suppose in one way that was a really good, it was freeing that I didn't, I didn't think anybody would read it. <laughs> and so I was, I wasn't worrying about how it came across what I was writing. I wasn't worrying about what people were thinking. So when I finished the book and kind of got to this point where I thought that's that's the story, that's what I want to talk about. And I sent it in to the editor and they're like, yep, we're going to go ahead with this. I kind of just left it for a bit for months and months, actually. And then when I came back to edit it, it was a real eye opener of how bad things had got. I think I'd kind of forgotten. So in terms of what I'd been through, but also what Marcus had been through. Oh, I really believe that like, it does make you stronger. So in terms of that question, the tough times are when we really find out who we are and what we've got, whether we want that or not. You can choose to put yourself in tough times. I've run ultra marathons. I go swimming in the snow. Like there are tough times that I choose to be in. And yeah, you can learn who you are in those. But I think ultimately you're going to face hardships that you haven't chosen. And that's that's what I've went through for that and you come out stronger you come out knowing yourself in terms of like happier I think that's yes I'm happier than when times when I was a lawyer but there were times when I was a lawyer when I was really happy I was doing what I wanted and I miss those times but I also feel like those times aren't available anymore like I, I'd, I'm not considering going back to law because those legal aid funding difficulties that we're talking about they haven't rectified like it's it's got even more bleak and looking at the political for, you know the kind of political landscape I don't that's not really going to change yeah I'm not sure like I, overall in terms of the happiness like for example I got asked a kind of very coaching question of what's the dream in terms of when I'm like thinking about what I want to do with income and job wise in the future and I'm like that's a really hard question the dream would be that I could run again the dream would be that I would be a lawyer and you know so I guess it's for me it's like well what what can I do with what I've got is more the question um and I feel like I'm doing that now mm, it's interesting you say that because I think there is there's a difference in terms of what are your dreams and what you know what are your sort of fantasy you know <laughs> is it are dreams associated with fantasy? And is that why it's so hard sometimes to answer that question? What are your dreams? Because it, it, there's maybe something that does feel far-fetched about it. So it's sometimes I think people feel like it's kind of pointless to, to voice those dreams because maybe it's, it, sometimes it isn't possible. Yeah, I think it's really... It, it, I, I mean, I know what the question was getting at, and it's not that it's a bad question, but I suppose, and I, I'm not alone in having these barriers, but sometimes it's not just mindset barriers that you can think your way out of. I can't think my way out of osteoarthritis. I can work with what I've got. I can do the best I've got. And I think I'm also, I was very much at the start listening to the opinions and taking them as absolute as absolute and now I'm more I'll I'll see I'll feel I'll know my own body I I'm not a typical patient for a knee replacement so I'm only 41 
and what's out there in terms of data maybe that doesn't apply to me in terms and just in terms of what I can do so I'm not saying that I'm you know limiting myself but I think sometimes yeah those dreams <laughs> I mean it's not like I'm gonna oh, I mean I'd love to be able to fly and stuff like that, <laughs> I'm well aware that that's not a career option <laughs> but I guess it's <laughs> I saw a picture of you yesterday was it yesterday in the rain with your arms out you, you were trying I'm trying you know I'm not limited by my mind <laughs> so yeah I think and, and that's one of the questions that I've explored in my podcast is really do we have to look back on these hardships on these injuries on these illnesses and be grateful for them because I felt a bit of a pressure for that. Like this is, but, but actually I don't think I do have to. I think I have to try to accept them. I have to try and process them. And I think for me, I spent a lot of last year in the early t- kind of time in de- denial, a lot of, oh, I can't believe this has happened to me. And I still have moments of that, but, I'll, but I do feel I'm further along in processing and accepting. But that doesn't mean that I I can say this is the dream. It's the dream of what I with what I've got, I guess is the way I'd put it. Are there some areas then in your life now that you feel resistant towards? I think one thing that I find quite surprising is when people think I'm really confident and really resilient. Honestly, I still really struggle putting myself out there. I'm still that really shy girl sometimes. She's still in there. And I'm so much better than I was. I really don't worry too much about what people think compared to like how it used to be. So it's definitely been progress. But I think in terms of areas of resistance there's still it it still feels like jumping off a cliff and not knowing if your parachute's working sometimes even just with little things I post like one thing when you're talking about my book and all those vulnerabilities going out there that is not something that's happening lightly I still don't know how I feel about that like an impression people get from me from maybe following me on social media is they know about my life and I'm really open and my god I'm not you know, that's still really curated what I put out. There's still vast things that have happened that I don't put out. And and just, that's fine. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm still with my book selecting what I put out. But just in terms of those areas of resistance, me shouting about me, me putting stuff out, me launching new aspects and new projects and new offers is still really hard and I think I say that just in case it helps somebody else like don't look at other people (laughs) and Mm. think which is what I do this is advice for myself don't look at other people and think they've got it all sorted they've got it easy they've been born with this confidence like it takes work and you never really know what's going on with people and how hard things are for them what's behind it what's the motivation to share it's that connection isn't it how can you authentically connect with people unless you are vulnerable you just can't also what I think is quite interesting is like linking back to when we were talking about those like job as a lawyer and is it all wasted and and actually in a deep level throughout all those jobs I've been doing no matter how wildly different they look it comes back to that connection it comes back to sitting with really uncomfortable 
feelings, whether that's me challenging people that I coach or whether that's sitting with murderers and sex offenders, which is what I used to do for 14 years and building those connections. And that's why it matters. That's why the sharing matters. And I think it's, it's taken me a while, like personally to do that. I've always been okay. Sh- you know, like as people ask, well, how can you not be confident? You were like meeting these high profile prisoners. You were stood up in front of judges speaking for hours at a time. How can you not be confident? But there's a very different persona as a lawyer. You're not dealing with your personal circumstances. And actually that's something that's, has been quite hard with my podcast, like actually talking about me or, bringing in a personal experience um that's not what I did as a lawyer it was like just really not anything that was comfortable for me so um yeah it's something that I've been working on but it it is a thread through what what I do and what I offer it's it's starting to get comfortable with the uncomfortable or at least just talking about the uncomfortable and where do you want to take things now even if it changes again but right here and right now what are you working towards? Uh, lots going on. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Lots that I haven't taken that leap off the cliff and put out there yet. So definitely developing writing. That's something which I hadn't realised how much I, I need from writing my book. The way that I got to finish the book was writing every day. I just set myself a challenge of writing for 500 words and it was often more that came out and after like with a coffee and that's something that I've kept up so I've got a lot of writing that I'm sharing I think also just widening the coaching from just being running to other aspects so that's something that you'll see popping up and I have got other ideas for taking the podcast about resilience resilience rising podcast going further with that and really it's it's great it feels like I'm kind of putting those tentacles out in the dark like some octopus on the seabed or something like that (laughs) just not quite sure what I'm feeling for but sort of knowing that it's going in the right direction and and having that faith that what I feel is pull like I'm being pulled to that instinct that's not nothing something's happening there and what about the retreats as well because I know that you've got one coming up in October in this year in 2023 and you mentioned earlier about offering that space to people and and giving it giving people giving to people nurturing that yeah. environment what sort of experience are you going to be offering people i th- i'm hoping that i'm offering what i need <laughs> all that time ago which yeah so the day retreats coming up there's going to be a few more of those but to start with so this is meeting in the peak district and having yoga session guided walk and then going back for some more and relaxing yoga and nidra and I think I'm I'm always a bit wary of saying what you're going to get from a yoga because it's so much but it varies for some people it is just you know it's the physical movement for me it was it wasn't really about that it was about the stillness and the really connecting with me and what was going on and what what was the real me and so there's going to be yeah day retreats with that and also I've got some residential retreats as well we've got one uh, coming up next year which I haven't spoken about yet but that's going to be at a remote hostel Skidder House Hostel in the Lake District and I think this will be the first time we've they've tried to have a yoga retreat up there so I'm really excited about that there's going to be the offerings of navigation 
teaching map reading as well there'll be opportunities for that what i'm really working towards is offering that kind of space for development and curiosity of for other people of finding out what it is that they really are being called to that they want to do and i think that's it's something that we don't often have that space for in such a busy world yeah and i think sometimes it can be about just stillness and allowing a a bit like you was talking about in your podcast with James Reeves and he was saying about how it can be those moments in the shower when you just have this aha moment and so maybe it's not during the actual stillness quiet time but you've allowed that and then in those moments when you're maybe just doing an everyday thing brushing your teeth something just comes at you (laughs) yeah it's really tuning in isn't it and being open to things and I guess maybe you felt it too because we've both been people uh, people that have gone through such career changes but also lifestyle changes in terms of where we've lived and things but it's that it's some point there was something telling us (laughs) and we had to listen I mean I know it's us telling us (laughs) but it's it's finding the space to listen and what I love about James Reed's work is like on one level, all he's inviting you to do is just sit still for five minutes. But really that could be life-changing. Then there's options to go deeper as well and really listen to, to what we're being told and, and rest in other ways. But ultimately that's something that, that I think as people can find really challenging. It rings alarm bells if an athlete to me doesn't want to rest day or like can't relax. And I used to say this as a lawyer, like, it's like, I don't have a TV. I still don't have a TV. But I, I, at no point did I feel like I would have had time to watch anything on TV. Oh, I can't relax. And I, like, I wouldn't even read. I'd go to bed with parole board dossiers that I would be reading in bed, which, I mean, I talk about having no boundaries. It's something to be proud of. Oh, I can't relax. Oh, I, oh, I, oh I, don't, I don't sit still. And... Now I'm like, no, oh, I love doing nothing. Yeah, celebrate, <laughs> celebrate it. It's like yesterday I fell asleep by the river and it <laughs> felt absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, I had all these plans for the day, these ideas on my head about what I was going to work on that day. But I feel so much better for it. I feel better for it today. Maybe yesterday, yes, I was on a bit of a high, but today I feel so fresh and ready to, you know, to do this interview and to work later and when you were asleep by the waterfall or by the river, like, did you feel guilty at any point? No, <laughs> good. Because <laughs> I don't want you to. No. But, uh, I did question it before I left. So before I left the house, I was thinking, right, I'm going to give myself an hour and a half to get there. I might have a quick dip in the waterfall and then going to rush home. And in the end, it, it was through the actual experience that I started to relax. So I had a plan in my head that I needed to get certain things done when I got home. But actually, after about an hour of being out there and being out in nature, and I was noticing, you know, the sound of the dippers that were um, feeding themselves in, you know, in the water, that it was a beautiful sunny afternoon. And I felt so relaxed, just sat there with my flask and I just, I just gave in. That was the mm. thing. I just gave into it, even though I had however many... Um, interviews to edit from a podcast um, a book to edit you know there's all there's like this whole list of things but I just trust I trust that I'll get it done yeah and I think when I was in that space as a lawyer it was 
I will relax when I've done everything, when I've finished my work. So much of my life was when I finish my work, I'm going to do this. And I never got it done. Mm. The only time that I can say I was on top of my work was when I went on holiday. And what that looked like was me booking a week in Scotland or, or the Lake District or something to go walking. And I would be trying to get through my to-do list. So it would be my normal caseload, but also those things that maybe pro bono or just things that didn't have deadlines or things I was avoiding. Those files that were always on my desk. And I would be, in maybe in the weeks before, start working till the early hours of the morning. Sometimes I was still working at 4 a.m. Sometimes I was days late to my holidays. I was two days late to my um, honeymoon. <laughs> Sorry, Marcus. <laughs> but I was just working because, and then I would like go away. And yes, it would like almost as I was driving away from my house, I would be repeating to my nervous system, you're on top of your work. You're on top of your work. And the first day of my holiday, I would be comatosed on a sofa, like a shell of a person. And there was a couple of holidays when that's when I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave law. I'd then have a few days walking, which would be magical. I'd then get back to my desk with a whole new pile of emails and things. And, and that's as fleeting as it was. So I'm very conscious now that if I wait until... I feel like I have nothing to do. I would never rest. I guess it comes back to that perfection in the world. It's never going to be perfect. So it's almost like now I see the busier I am, the more stressed I am, the more I need to sit by the river and listen to the birds. Yeah, and I think it, a lot of that is about permission. And by that, I mean mm. giving yourself the permission. It's like, I'm going to do this even when yeah and I think also that even when comes from even when everybody else is at work even when society and employers put so much of our value on our worth uh, on pr productivity like as a lawyer oh my god it's like every I, I was self-employed so I never had to do timesheet oh no I did it when I was in-house I think there were some timesheets but I'm not sure I really completed them but it's like justifying every six minutes how are you progressing the case? What did you do? What did you do with your time? What's billable? What's non-billable? And you get wrapped up in your productivity. But I think also it took me a while to work out a lot of my creative moments, a lot of like, even as a lawyer, were out on runs. I'd suddenly find a solution to a problem or a way that I could approach something that I hadn't thought of before. There's value in rest, both for being productive later, but also it's, let's not get too hung up on productivity. So now it's your turn to <laughs> ask a question, not to me, but to people who are listening who are maybe in that, in that space of, yeah, of productivity and having, you know, feeling like you really have to work all the time, whether it's self-employment or working mm. for someone else. You know, there was a question that I don't, I was trying to, I don't remember when I did this, but I, I valued it so much that I put it on the side of a mug. <laughs> And I made it myself. <laughs> and it just, it was something that really prompted me. And it still prompts me. And it's probably, when we were talking about that, what's the dream? For me, that doesn't really work as framing as a question. Because I, I yeah, I get into the realms of, well, stupid, you know, if I could fly and things. But so <laughs> this, this one works better for me. And the question is, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I put it on a mug. And for me, 
that meant what would you do if you weren't worried about what people thought what would you do if money wasn't an option what would you do if all that those sorts of things that was that that would come into my mind of oh well i want to explore whether i could do my pottery or my we talked about my cooking and things like that as as jobs which is something that i was kind of looking for and reaching for but there was always a practical thing that i could come up with and so it's that what would you do if you weren't afraid and that's what guides me now because i think for me it's you've got to take some risks and yeah you can manage them and like a lot of lawyer work is just risk management and assessing those risks so it's not like blindly i have quit my job and have nothing to go to but it's yeah that that for me it guides me as to where i'm going what i'm doing and what i really want not what other people want not what i think i should be doing but what do you want to do well, that question gave me goosebumps. I mean, it could be the, the gale the, the gale that's blowing through the bothy and the rain hammering on the window, but that question did give me goosebumps. So great one, Jen. Thank you for an amazing interview. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. I was, I was warning you that I was going to ask you loads of questions and then I waffled and didn't. So that's you good. got away with got that. me off the hook. <laughs> yes. But it's fine because you can come on my podcast and then I get to ask you all questions. <laughs> Should we have some coffee and look at the rain? and hope that it's going to pass <laughs> for our walk back to the van. I know. We've got flasks. We're in a bothy. I didn't bring a sleeping bag, but... <laughs> It'd be very tempting right now. It's the 30th of June, and would you believe it looks like November out there, I, I would say. I thought it was sleeting at one point. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. Can you believe that yesterday I was... <laughs> I was getting sunburned by the river. <laughs> but Sarah, we're in a wet, windy, bothy in the Peak District on a Friday. Would you rather be here or at a desk? <laughs> I mean, we actually are at a desk. <laughs> but a really fun one. <laughs> it's not really work, is it? You can find out about Jen's work as a coach and podcast host and take a look at her events and retreats at whiteedgeyoga.com. More links are provided in the show notes. Please do let us know your thoughts on this episode by contacting me through my website, aboutheadventure.com. Thank you for listening.